the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? Make your way with me to the very end of Malachi chapter 2. We're going to be taking a look at a relatively brief section of Scripture, Malachi 2, verse 17, through Malachi 3, verse 5. We're going to hear about the messenger of the Lord, about the day of the Lord. We're going to hear about the purification and judgment of the Lord. And so let's give our attention to these verses here, Malachi chapter 2, verses 17 through 3, 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in, the righteousness, of, to, in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment." I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do you ever wonder, where is God? Right now, the word... um, The word unprecedented has been thrown around so much that it's almost become cliched. But it's the right word to describe our situation of global pandemic right now. It's unprecedented. This is something that none of us have experienced in our lifetimes. No one knows how to move forward. Everyone's feeling their way around in the dark. And I wonder how many people have cried out. How many people have whispered? How many people have prayed, God, where are you in all of this? How could you let this happen, God? Where are you, God? Scripture and prayer aren't even calming me right now. Where are you, God? Maybe it's when you contemplate the injustices of the world that you cry out, where is God? Where is the God of justice? Maybe it's when you feel personally that things are stacked against you. Maybe it's when you consider the bad things that happen to good people that you wonder, where is God? 
Where is God in all of this? Where is the God of justice? If you are asking those questions right now, then this is the precise section of scripture to be able to help you. You need these words. Malachi 2:17 shows us that the people of Israel are asking this exact question. Where is God? Where is the God of justice? And in Malachi 3, 1 to 5, God answers the question, but we need to be prepared this morning because God's not coming with a soft answer this morning. This is not a feel-good word from the Lord when he responds to this question. This isn't a safe answer, but it's good. So let's take a look at the three sections of this text together. The first section is where is God? And that's what's asked in 2.17. Where is God? Then uh, chapter three, verses one through four, tells us that God will come to purify. In response to this question, God's gonna come to purify. And then three, five tells us that God is gonna come to judge. And this is what the text tells us. Where is God? Well, God is gonna come to purify and God is gonna come to judge. So let's take a look at the text here, starting with chapter two, verses 17. Where is God? Israel questions God here in two ways. Let me read verse 17 for you again. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So what exactly is Israel saying here? Let's unpack these two phrases that we're told Israel is saying or asking of the Lord. Israel saying first, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. So let me help you understand what Israel's trying to say here. Israel had returned from exile, and as they had returned from exile in Babylon and then Persia, they had come back to the land of Israel with the promises of the prophets ringing in their ears that they were going to be restored to national prominence, that they'd have their prosperity returned to them, that the temple was going to be rebuilt. And when they returned to the land of Israel, it didn't seem as though their fortunes were being restored. They continued to be oppressed by foreign nations. Persia was exacting a hefty tribute from them. Their pagan neighbors had it out for them. The temple, even after it was rebuilt, looked nothing like the glorious structure that had been built in the time of Solomon. This was a people who were poor and suffering and feeling like this promise of a rebuilt temple hadn't exactly come to fruition because the poor structure they had now just couldn't compare to what they had in the past. And all the while, it seemed like all of those nations around them were prospering. And so they said, it must be that God has no real issue with evildoers. It must be that God likes the bad guys just as much as he likes the good guys. God must delight in evil people. He must have no problem with evil events. He must not care when bad things happen to his people. That's what they're saying. That God delights in people who do evil. They're saying, God's not being just here. He cares more about those nations around us that are oppressing us than he does about us. And this isn't fair. And then they punctuate it again by saying this. Where is the God of justice? Where even is he? He seems to even prefer these evildoers. Where is God? Where's the God that we thought existed? The God who cared about justice and righteousness and holiness. And this is wearying to God. Verse 17 says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And this is challenging for me. This is challenging for me because throughout the Psalms, you have bold and honest prayers that sometimes express doubt. And those Psalms are inspired by God. And those are words that we can use in our prayer to God. 
And Jesus, when he's on the cross, when he's on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isn't Jesus crying out, where are you, God? So why is it that God is wearied by these questions and statements from Israel? Why is it that this is a problem for God? Why is he wearied by this when he inspires it in the Psalms when Christ Jesus cries out, where are you or or you've forsaken me while he's at the cross? Well, let me try to lay out the key difference. Here's the key difference between those two phrases. Yes, in the Psalms, there are a lot of bold prayers that cry out to God and ask what is happening. Yes, Jesus at the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the difference with what Israel is doing here. Israel's questions... And their statements demean God's justice. Israel here is saying, you don't really care about injustice. You're not an opponent of injustice. Israel has placed themselves in judgment over God and his actions. We're the just ones. You're the unjust one. We're the ones bothered by sin. You're the one who winks at it. We're the ones who do good. And you like those who do evil. To imply or to state that you are more just than God is evil. To imply or to state that God is not God is wrong. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message. To imply or to state that our understanding of morality and justice is is superior to that of the Lord God, this is sinful. And that's what's happening with Israel here, and it's wearying God. And God replies that he is a God of justice who is going to judge all those who do evil on the day of judgment. And this is ostensibly what Israel wants. Is this what you want? Do you want the Lord to return and to set all things right? Do you want the return of the Lord to judge wickedness and to bring in his kingdom that will not end and to bring an end to death and to sickness and to sin? Is that what you want? Because that day is described here in Malachi 3, 1 to 5. God is going to deal with the problem of injustice. And this takes us to this second point, which talks about the fact that God is going to purify. How is God going to deal with this problem of injustice? Well, he's going to come. He's going to send his messenger before him. He's going to prepare the way before the Lord. And then the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come into his temple the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. That's the first verse. God is going to come. In response to injustice and to end injustice, God is going to come. He's going to send his messenger and the Lord is going to appear. And the Lord will appear in the temple. And when you hear that, the response should be, wait, 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 wait for a second. So God is coming. God is coming to destroy injustice, but he's going to show up in the temple? He's going to show up in the temple? No, no, no. It's the problems outside of me that need to be addressed. It's the problems of the world that need to be addressed first. It's not my own. It's the nations that need to be judged. It's death that needs to come to an end. It's sickness that needs to be destroyed. And God says, no, I'm showing up in church. And I'm going to start with the pastors. And then I'm going to go to the people before I even look at the world. Wow. 
this is difficult. God's showing up in the temple and he's starting with his own people. He's starting with the sons of Levi. He's purifying them. I think this is tough for us because when we think about all the problems of the world, when we think about all the injustice, when we think about all the death, when we think about all the sickness, we want God to bring that all to an end. And here in Malachi chapter three, God says, well, I'm dealing with you first. I'm purifying my own first. Do you want to be purified of sin? I hope you do. I pray that you do. I really hope that we all realize a few things. The first is that we all have this tendency. We all have this tendency to say that the biggest problems that we face are all outside of ourselves. That the biggest problems that we face are all external. And those things are all a big deal. They're a huge deal. And God will deal with them. We'll see that in verse 5. But the most fundamental problem that you or I face is the problem of our sin. Right now, we are in the midst of unprecedented crisis. We live in the midst of sickness and death, and we should cry out for God to end it. And as we cry out for God to end the sickness and the death that we are immersed in right now, we should realize what has brought sickness and death into the world in the first place. It's sin. Death is sin's best friend. Wherever sin goes, death comes along with. There was no death, there was no death, there was no sickness in this world before sin came into the world and then brought death and sickness along with it. And so the way for you to be freed from both sickness and death is for you to die with your sins purified and forgiven. And so you and I should want this purification from sin. We should want it desperately. We should want to be saved from sin. We should want to be purified. But this process of being purified from sin is not just a nice, easy, neat process. No, it's like Fuller's soap. It's like being told you got to wash your face at the end of the day when you may not want to. But even more seriously, it's like a refiner's fire. And that's what the text tells us here. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. God says that when Jesus comes, he's going to refine his people like a silversmith or a goldsmith refines silver and gold. I looked it up. Silver melts at 1,763 degrees. Gold melts at 1,948 degrees. And that means that the fire that is, uh, is stoked to refine silver and gold is one that burns extremely hot. A 2,000 degree fire. And the process of refining gold and silver is to melt it so that all of the impurities burn away and the silver and the gold, they're stretched to their limit. I mean, they melt, but, but through that melting process and then through the hardening process, all that which was making them dull or ugly has burned away. But I mean, it's not an easy process. It's not nice. It's not simple. And so if you want to be refined... If you want to be purified, and you should want it, you need to recognize that it's not easy, that it hurts.
Purification from sin cost the Lord Jesus' life. Jesus was crucified and died and was buried. Jesus experienced the most horrible form of torture to purify you from your sin, to refine you. And the process now of dying to self, dying to sin, living to the Lord Jesus is one that is not simple or easy. It hurts. To put away those things that in our flesh we love and desire, this is a challenge. This is a difficulty. This hurts. The Puritans called repentance of sin the vomit of the soul. They talked about how it's something that is terribly unpleasant, but that after it happens, you immediately feel much better. This is what purification is like. Man, going through the fires of sanctification, it's not nice, but it's good. I love the way that C.S. Lewis talks about it in his book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I've been reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my daughter, and my favorite so far is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I don't know if you've read it, but there's a story of, uh, of a young boy named Eustace in the course of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and I'm admittedly giving away maybe the second best part of the book right here, but you've had 80 years to read it, so I'm, I think I'm going to press forward. What happens is that the people who are traveling on the Dawn Treader, it's uh, Edmund and Lucy, the former king and queen of Narnia, along with a prince named Caspian and a young boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub. At the very beginning of their journey on the Dawn Treader, he is a perfectly loathsome individual, the sort that you would never want to spend time with. He complains about everything. He's entitled, he's lazy, he's selfish. And when they arrive at a certain uh, island where there's a dragon, Eustace, through the, some sort of means, himself becomes a dragon. It's a really helpful illustration because what it's saying is the, that which was on the inside of him, that which was monstrous, becomes projected on the outside. He becomes a manifestation of what had existed on the inside. He becomes a dragon, he becomes a monster. But an inward transformation starts happening when it becomes clear what it is that he has been. And at one point, he meets Aslan. He meets Jesus. He meets the Christ figure. He meets Aslan the lion. And the lion, Aslan, takes him to a pool in the mountain and tells him that the way that he can shed his dragon skin, the way that he can shred his monstrosity is to get rid of his dragon scales and to bathe in a pool. It is itself set up to be a picture of repentance of sin and baptism. This is the way that we stop being monstrous. He says you have to undress and bathe in this pool. And by undress, he means you have to shed all of these scales. You have to repent of your sin. And Eustace tries it a few times, but finds that he can't get rid of all of his dragonness. He can't get rid of his scales. He takes off too little of them. And so the story goes like this. Eustace is telling the story of how he is restored to being a boy. The lion says, but I don't know if it spoke, you will have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. 
And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I have ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it is just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it hurts like bilio, but it's so fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, laying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no dragon skin on, and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And then it became as perfectly delicious as anything. And soon I started swimming and splashing, and I found that the pain had gone from my arm, and then I saw why I had turned into a boy again. God comes to purify, and he comes to purify his own, and he calls all of us to repentance and trust in the Lord Jesus. And repentance is challenging, and purification from sin hurts like ever. But it's good. And I hope that what you want this morning, what I hope that you want desperately, is for the Lord to purify you of sin. It's for you to pray, to talk to God and say, God, genuinely take this away from me. Maybe you're watching this right now and you're not yet a Christian and you recognize that what you're characterized by is sin. Maybe God, by the Holy Spirit, is convicting you even as you are watching this and you recognize that without Jesus, you're monstrous. Well, I would encourage you to, to tell Jesus that you would like to be forgiven of all your sins, to genuinely repent and turn away from them and receive purification from those sins, to receive baptism, to become a part of our church. Maybe you've been a Christian, but you're struggling with the sin you have been holding on to it. You've been feeding it. You think it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Allow the Lord to take it away. Even if it hurts like ever to be away from that sin, to be purified by the Lord Jesus is much, much, much better. Jesus comes to purify And God will come to judge. And this is the final verse, verse five. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord here is asserting that he is, in fact, a God of justice and that he will, in fact, come. The people have been questioning his commitment to justice and, and the Lord here is saying, I'm being patient, but I will not always wait. I will come and I will act against all of those who act in unjust sorts of ways. God will bring swift judgment against those who practice injustice. He mentions several different things. He talks about sorcery, those who are given to witchcraft or worship of the dark powers. He mentions those adulterers, 
those who have broken the marriage covenant. Jesus intensifies this and says that anyone that has looked lustfully on a woman has committed adultery in his heart. He says that he's going to bring judgment against those who swear falsely against people who lie, people who pervert the truth. He's going to bring justice and judgment against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages and the widow and the fatherless. He's going to bring judgment against all of those who haven't paid a fair wage to those who they have employed, to those who have exploited, who have taken advantage of those who are in their employ. He's going to bring judgment against those who have taken a stand against the widow and the fatherless, those who are without a husband or a dad, those who are particularly vulnerable, those who take advantage of the single mom, those who don't care for the orphan. And he's going to bring judgment against those who thrust aside the sojourner, against those who despise refugees. And he'll bring judgment against those who do not fear me. That do not fear me part is pretty instructive, isn't it? It shows us why it is that wicked people do wicked things, because they don't fear God. It's because they don't care about what it is that the Lord says or thinks or what he will do. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.